Our lives are constant forks in the road. Which decision shall I make? Whom shall I marry? Should I take this new job opportunity? How am I going to forgive someone who's incredibly difficult to love? How am I going to resolve conflict? I need wisdom to make those decisions. You need wisdom to make those decisions. We all need God's wisdom so that we can follow God's ways and live in terms of God's peace that God gives us as he gives us his wisdom in making all of those decisions. And the book of Proverbs is full of God's wisdom and wisdom for everyday life. Wisdom for decisions regarding sex, for money, for marriage, for friendships, for conflict resolution, for forgiving someone. Um, all sorts, even alcohol, debt, you, you name it. These topics are all here in this book called Proverbs. Well, welcome back to our journey through Scripture. We're in this book of the Bible called Proverbs. And so I want to give a narrative summary, and then after that I'll give a sample passage for us as we look at this very, very wise book. In fact, that's what the, the book Proverbs means, is wisdom, God's wisdom. Uh, it's, it is uh, answers, to, it's answers to the question, how do I live in this world? And it's, it's sort of a, a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. It is about wisdom, and not just, you shouldn't be thinking some sort of mental activity, that's not what this book is about, but it, it refers to action. So we should be thinking applied knowledge. And it's for every person in every season of life, and it's ways to live as a wise follower of Jesus. That's what the book of Proverbs is, and it's the entire biblical story is embedded in the Proverbs. It's God's maxims, aphorisms, mottos, and adages, all wrapped up here in 31 chapters, and there's approximately 800 Proverbs here in these 31 chapters. Let's go over the genre and author and the purpose first here in our narrative summary. The genre is it's biblical wisdom literature. This is not law. This is not prophecy. This is um, not even a, a historical book. This is wisdom literature. So insight on how to live well in God's world. The author is Solomon. King Solomon, we looked at this character earlier in those books of the Bible that preceded this one here. And this is Solomon's book of wisdom. And the context is 1 Kings chapter 3. Perhaps you remember that God told Solomon that ask whatever you want and I'm going to give it to you. That's, a, that's an astounding offer. I don't want you to imagine God even saying that to you. Uh, what would you choose? Well, Solomon, instead of choosing fame or instead of choosing riches, he chooses wisdom. And God gives him exactly what he asked for. And Solomon became known as the wisest person in the ancient world. So 1 Kings chapter 4 uh, says that Solomon wrote over 3,000 of these Proverbs. 
Now, the purpose that the author has for us is that we would develop practical skills in living in God's world. It's not just to grow our intellect, but it's to tether and hold together theology, that is what we know about who God is, and also the practice of that theology, to live it out, make decisions in this world. And so... The structure of it is chapters 1 through 9. There's a difference between wisdom and foolishness. And so the word foolish here, it's not about mental capacity. The Proverbs, when when it talks about being a fool or foolishness, it's it's not talking about uh, mental capacity, but rather moral foolishness. Chapters 10 through 29 is the next uh, section there in the structure, is that it covers every topic of life you can Imagine, And as I read through it again this week, I noticed these Proverbs were, were talking about things like family, work, relationships, neighborhood, your city, your culture, friendships, sex, marriage, money, debt, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, etc., etc. And chapters 30 and 31, this is the climax and the payoff of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 30, there's this prophecy of Jesus. (laughs) Chapter 30 is this prophecy of Jesus. It's a strange and beautiful oracle at the climax of this collection of wisdom. And then in chapter 31, it's an acrostic. It's an alphabetic poem. And each line begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it's talking about a woman of noble character. And it's comparing this woman of noble character with some of the other such women that's mentioned in the book of Proverbs that one should not marry. Uh, The Proverbs go on and on about not choosing uh, a, a lustful woman, but choosing the right wife, such as the one who seeks to live in light of God's wisdom. Well, let me try to open up this treasure chest of these precious jewels known as the Proverbs, and I want you just to listen at this point. I want you to just listen to some of these Proverbs as I read them here before I choose one of these Proverbs for us to go in today as our sample passage. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching." Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs eleven, twenty-two: Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right to a person, 
but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The wicked accept bribes in secret, to pervert the course of justice. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Rather, wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. The Lord guides it wherever he pleases. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. There's so many more of these Proverbs, but I just wanted to open up that treasure chest there full of those precious jewels known as the Proverbs and let you listen to just, just, a, just a handful of them. So I invite you to go back and, and, and read through the book of Proverbs. Now, when we talk about how to, how to read uh, the Proverbs um, and how to meditate on the Proverbs, uh, the very first thing we need to be reminded of is, is just to, the, the Proverbs are not to be quickly absorbed. The Proverbs are to be revisited. There should be a repetition in the way that you and I go back to the Proverbs for God's wisdom, to absorb this wisdom as we meditate on God's wisdom. We're to receive God's wisdom and translate that wisdom into practical living so that in practical decisions in everyday life, at work, at home, in relationships, in family, and in community. Well, there's our narrative summary. I I hope that entices you to, to go back and read through the book of Proverbs Let me give us a sampler passage today that's going to speak to us. And today I'm choosing Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now let me go ahead and uh, give you the four points that I'm going to try to make from this passage. Then we'll read our passage and then go through the points. The first point is the Proverbs are not promises. The second point is the Proverbs are about rescue. The third point is the Proverbs are about success and suffering. And the last point, point number four, is the Proverbs are about Jesus. Okay, let me read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and uh, I invite you to, to follow along. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent the Lord's rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Well, let's look at our first point here from Proverbs chapter 3. The Proverbs are not promises. What I mean by that and what the Proverbs are seeking to do is to let you know that you can't read the book of Proverbs as sort of a formula for success. Some of us come to the Bible in that very manner. We're we're looking for some little uh, key, some some sort of secret or some some way that, that we can hack the system of life. And the Proverbs are are not promises. There's something much bigger that that the Proverbs are seeking to do for us. Let me give an example here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 2, that says, My teaching and my commands will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Sounds like a promise, but it's actually not a true promise that's listed here. Other examples uh, in in the Proverbs here that are not promises. You may be familiar with some of these. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. Let me explain. Yes, fearing God, being a moral person, following after God will most likely lead to a better and long life. And yes, raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well, but there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. Lots of things do go wrong and often go wrong in our world. Lots of things often go wrong even in the life of a person who does fear God and love God and is following God or who is seeking to train up their children to follow God. And yet there are broken homes. There are children who are not following after God right now. The Proverbs, rather, they focus on the general rule of how life works, and they don't focus on the exceptions to the rule. Let me clarify that. The book of Job focuses on the exception of suffering and what life is like when one is following God, and while following God, there's suffering. Go back and read the book of Job if you haven't read that yet. Or another exception to the rule is the book of Ecclesiastes, where it seems like Life just has no point. It's all meaningless. So again, the Proverbs are not promises. Rather, they help us focus on the general rule of how life works. 
Life is too complex for just simple formulas. I hope, I hope you're learning that as we are taking this journey through Scripture, that um, you, you don't read the Proverbs as looking for promises of how life will go if you obey all the rules. And that's how some of you are coming to the Proverbs and coming to the Bible. Hey, if I just, if I just find out all the rules and, and I try to obey them real, real, real uh, strictly, then I'm going to have a blessed life. Um, and, and that's because the Proverbs are about rescue. Rescue. That gets us to our second point here. The Proverbs are about rescue. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 here says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. It's about rescue. This is, the Proverbs are God's rescue to those of us who are truly um, sinful. And that's all of us. Don't be wise in your own eyes, is what verse 7 is saying. You know, someone who thinks that they know more about everything than everyone else. I mean, they know more about uh, theology. They know more about medicine. They know more about romance. They know more about uh, everything. And they know more than everybody. And, and they've been telling themselves that they know more and that they're better than everyone else for such a long time that they are convinced of it. And they want you to be convinced of it. That's what it means to be wise in your own eyes. And we need to be rescued from that type thinking, that sort of arrogance that all of us are prone towards. Chapters 1 through 9, we mentioned this earlier in sort of the structure of the Proverbs, but chapters 1 through 9, it talks about the difference between wisdom and foolishness. And the Bible describes foolish as a moral foolishness. A fool looks at true, you know, what's true, and says, that's false. A fool looks at what's wise and sees foolishness. And so the epicenter of foolishness is living as if I am totally self-sufficient and, and that I know what I need to live in this life and how I want to live is all that matters. That, that is the epicenter of foolishness. You might even call it selfishness. You become capable. We become capable of all sorts of evil and wickedness that we never even thought possible because we begin to rationalize things. We begin to think, I'm wise. I know what I'm doing. I don't need God. I don't need God's wisdom. I can handle this on my own. So there's this foolishness of sin that's inside of all of us. And the Proverbs are written to help rescue you from yourself. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The Proverbs were written to rescue me from me. And the Proverbs were written to rescue you from you. And those foolish decisions that we make, those choices that we have to make, you know, which way am I going to go here? Which decision am I going to make? And so it's humility to admit that we need, it's actually wisdom to admit that we need to be rescued from ourselves. So, so no, no, no matter your credentials, 
No, no matter what your resume, no matter your beauty, no matter your strength, no matter your accomplishments, you're, you're honestly no different than anyone else. You're, you're a sinner. You're a sinner in need of God's wisdom, in need of God's rescue from your own foolishness. And the wise person says, you know what? I, I'm not God. I don't know what God knows. Uh, I, I can't make up my own definition for what's, for what's right and what's wrong. And rather, I'm just going I'm, I'm to choose to humble myself to what God says. And I'm going to humble myself to God's wisdom. And the beauty there is that God gives us a, gives us a wisdom that, that we couldn't have uh, even known ourselves. I mean, who, who are you meeting with right now? Who are you spending time with right now to get wisdom from? Maybe you say it's your coach. Maybe you say it's your therapist. Maybe it's your a, a parent. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a best friend. And while, yes, you ask your coach and therapist and parent and trusted friend and et cetera for the wise counsel, yes, you should be spending time with those people for good counsel. But are you asking God for wisdom? When, when you're looking for wisdom, when you're at the crossroads of those decisions that, that we're making all day long, every day, are you asking God for wisdom? James chapter 1, there in the New Testament, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all. See, no matter who you are, you and I are going to experience prosperity, or you might call it success, and we're going to experience hardship and suffering. And everything going your way, or, or sort of nothing going your way. And that leads us to our third point here. The Proverbs are about success and suffering. Let me explain here. Chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and 11 and 12. Let me read verses 9 and 10 first. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Wow, there's this experience of prosperity or success. Sounds great, doesn't it? But then something really sudden happens here in verses 11 and 12 that say, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent the Lord's rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. See, the point here is that success, you reaching success and experiencing success, and by the way, success is not wrong or, or hated by God, but success will actually reveal to you, and when you experience success, it will reveal to you what's truly in your heart. The same way with hardship and suffering. It, it has a way. Success and suffering, they have a way of revealing what's in your heart. Both of those reveal who we are. And you can either uh, repent and become wiser when you experience success and suffering. You, you can become wiser or you can end up blaming it and repressing it and becoming more of a fool. 
as you go through something like suffering or success. And rather, both of these things, success and the suffering, they need to be turning us into someone who is wise. Let's look at success first here. Success or prosperity here in verses 9 and 10. Now, how a fool treats success. Let's talk about that first. How a fool treats success. The fool is also known as the wicked. And the wicked are, are those who actually disadvantage others for their own benefit. And the righteous in Scripture, as they are known, is they actually disadvantage themselves for the benefit of others. What an amazing difference there. And so before or after success, some people, they, they, they actually become someone else. Somehow success has made them into a different person. It hasn't really. But they begin to act differently. That's because they view themselves differently. You know, that fame that fame and fortune that, 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 that promised to make you feel better about yourself, but then you finally get it and you actually don't really feel better about yourself. And that's why the elite sometimes can be very unhappy and can have feelings of emptiness. You know, and that's because for the fool and the foolish, it, it, it won't ever be enough. Will it satisfy me? What, what if I get it? What if I actually get success? Will it actually satisfy me? Another way a fool treats success is you, you actually take credit for it. At your job, when you experience success or, or at love or romance or some relationship where you're enjoying the success or prosperity in that relationship, you, you know, you, you, you begin to take credit for it. That's what a fool does. You know, or someone says, you're smart. And, you, and outwardly you say, no, 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 not, not me. But inward, inwardly you're saying, of course I'm smart. This is how the wise treats success, that when wealth comes, they humble themselves. Because they know that that success actually came from God. It's a, it, it was a gift from God. It was God's benevolence, God's generosity and favor toward you. That God blessed you. Let's look at suffering and hardships when hard things come into your life. Here in verse 11 and 12. This is how a fool treats suffering. I must have done something wrong. God doesn't love me. God isn't even real. If God cared or loved me or, or, or were indeed powerful, God would do something about this suffering that I'm experiencing or that others are experiencing. That's how a fool treats suffering. How the wise will treat suffering whenever it comes is, is to know that, as verse 11 and 12 remind us here, is that God is allowing this because, because he loves me. Because he delights in me. It's God's bad things, mysterious as they are, are sometimes God's discipline in my life. Not because I, you did something wrong, per se, but it's a way to discipline you. 
It's that parent-child example where the child lies and deceives the parent. And the parent disciplines the child by maybe taking away a play date that the child may have with a friend. And that's because discipline in the Bible never means to punish. It never means to punish. The Hebrew word, therefore, to, dis- to discipline means just enough pain for the sake of the person to make them a better person. Not to pay them back for the pain that they caused you or the inconvenience that they caused you. And that's why God is the perfect parent. He knows exactly how much discipline to bring into our lives. C.S. Lewis quote, where he says, when we say, Lord, don't let anything bad happen to me, that's like saying, God, don't love me. We have to live in this wisdom. We have to live in this applied knowledge to know that we, we live in a world that's broken. I mean, there's going to be success some days. There's going to be utter failure, hardship, and and suffering on other days. And someday, God is going to fix it all. How the wise treat suffering, it's when everything is, is going wrong. You remember that God loves you. How the, how the wise treat suffering, you, you remember that God delights in you. Remember Jesus Christ, who came into the world, was the most successful person, but it didn't make him prideful. And he suffered the most of any human being, yet he trusted God and he actually took our place in suffering the very wrath of God for the sin of all humanity. He took our punishment to know the loving, fatherly discipline of God. So both success and suffering scream at you saying, you need God's wisdom. And our fourth final point here is the Proverbs are about Jesus. The entire biblical story is embedded here in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I mean, who do you think can live like, who who can live like that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. The Hebrew phrase there means to not lean on your own. Uh, The word is dunamis or dynamite or power or inherent abilities. It means don't, don't trust in those things. Trust in the Lord. Who among us can live like that, like this proverb is saying? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only person who can live this wisdom, who can live what this proverb is talking about. Jesus is the only person who perfectly embodied this wisdom, perfectly embodied God's applied knowledge. 
And that's because the entire Bible lets us know that this wisdom is, is not a concept. This wisdom is a person. The New Testament very clearly says that this, this wisdom is a person named Jesus Christ. So the gospel, the good news in Proverbs, is that Jesus is what the Proverbs are all about. Well, let's look at the Old Testament real quickly. The Old Testament reminds us that wisdom is not some concept, but it too is a person. Example, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this was promised hundreds of years before Christ the Messiah was even born. Isaiah the prophet says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right there the prophet is is saying that wisdom, you're going to actually get to meet him. You're going to get to meet this person who embodies this wisdom. He's going to be the wise counselor. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Messiah would be anointed with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's the Messiah, King Jesus. In the New Testament, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, And the life, no one can come to the Father except through me. So the Proverbs are about God's way. Which way is that? It's about Jesus. Jesus is that way. And the Holy Spirit, as we know, God's very presence living in you, gives you, gives me, gives followers of Christ this godly wisdom. Certainly, certainly all people may who are... All people are made in the image of God, and therefore there is a certain level of wisdom that rests upon all people. And yet it's the Holy Spirit who embodies the life of a believer that gives uh, uh, God's wisdom in in circumstances where, where we need it. So in conclusion, the Proverbs is an invitation. The Proverbs is an invitation to experience Experience the benefit of God's wisdom in your life. Not a concept in your life, but the very person of God. Taking up residency in your life, leading you, speaking to you, giving you the wisdom that you and I need that keeps us from foolishness. Why don't we pray for God's wisdom right now? Lord, don't let us be wise in our own eyes. We are prone to be foolish. We are prone to be foolish from our sin and our wicked ways. Therefore, we pray that you would rescue us. Rescue us with your wisdom. Guide us in the way of wisdom. Train us in following Jesus, who is the perfect wise one, and whose name we pray. Amen.